This podcast was made in Redfern on Gadigal land. We pay respect to elders past and present. Sovereignty was never ceded. We were in there one day, the sister's not with us, it was just me and him looking through the pornos when we hear a key in the front door in the lock and I just piss bolted out of there. This is Dame Rumpy, a grown man now, reflecting on growing up as a naughty boy in the quiet, coastal nook of Clovelly. Do you remember being a kid? Does it feel like they were a different person? Well, it was, dickhead. Most of the atoms in your body have been replaced by now. You are a different thing. That's why you eat and suck in air. Given that the only time is now, the past does not exist. Yet we live so intimately with memory. It's what we go by. Go by with me, algal blooms, as we explore the memories of two naughty 90s kids. As a passing paramedic once said to a floppy man in a K-hole, kneeling opposite him, hands clasping his, Stay with me, dickhead. The next story is about one of my very close childhood friends and we did a lot of naughty stuff together. It was his older brother's grand final. He was playing for Mascot. At the time, we'd been lighting <laughs> lighting lots of little fires around. Like in Burnie Park, we'd like to have a little bonfire in the bins or whatever. Um, got our hands on some lighters, I suppose, just lighting up random stuff. Anyway, so the weekend comes of his brother's grand final. <laughs> it was a park in Kensington near East Lakes really and we went up the top of this hill a very dry September afternoon and light, lighting little fires up the top of this long hill and it was fine <clears throat> we were just like letting little ones and then letting them out and then his sister came along and we were back down the bottom of the hill and she wanted to participate his older sister and we let this bush on fire and um <laughs> <laughs> we started panicking. We're like, fuck, this is pretty big. we got to put it out. She's like, no, let it go for a little bit. Let it go. And so the whole bush caught on fire. It jumped to a tree. And then before we knew it, it was like 60 metres of bush. And like, because it was the bottom of the hill, it was just blowing up this hill. 
adults started running at us. Like, oh, yeah, this this lady was like, you guys are going to <laughs> children's jail or children's court or something, like, took us away. I can't remember how we got away from her. Anyway, th- we were about, we would have been about 10 or 11. And we went and hid in the bathrooms. And then very quickly afterwards, his mother, like, whisked us away, like got us in the car, fire engine were there, by the time we came out of the bathroom the fire engines were there, don't know if the police were there but the fire engines were definitely there, the grand final had to be stopped on both fields that they were playing, so yeah it was pretty <laughs> pretty serious. And I think the main thing was that the, well besides all the dangers that come with the fire, at the very top of the hill it backed onto the golf course there. It, um, East Lakes, and so there were all these car, like nice cars, golfmen's cars, parked up the top of the, up the top of the hill, just getting smoked out.
And yeah, I remember later that afternoon, I went to the Swans game, went to the SCG, and uh, by this stage, I'd come home like crying, and Dad was like trying to console me. But then the next day, I reckon we woke up and drove back there, and it was just like, like utter devastated hill, like the fire had carried on, and it was just like this torch blackened kind of desert scape. The dude who I was doing, he moved. He was he was already in the process of moving up north, um, Central Coast way. And he was out of the picture, so then I came home like pretty distraught after it um and I think because I was so scared they knew I probably wasn't going to be playing around with fire much more the main thing was they wanted me to move away from him because we'd have a succession of kind of bad things we were doing together and they saw him as the bad influence I think they there was no real reason to punish I do remember one heavily obese man that always hanging around the Eastern Suburbs Soccer Federation or whatever it was called. He was always there on awards day. But he was like, I know. I remember him as I was (laughs) hanging around the toilet box after being like, I know you. I know. I I see you around. (laughs) He basically was just like, you won't get away with this. Like, I I see you all the time (laughs) kind of thing. Anyway, what can you do to him? 10 year old maybe it's so fascinating to children because it's they're not used to having such power kind of springs out of nowhere And something so powerful as well. There's not many other things that you can just summon with your bare hands or with very little equipment that can basically break things down into nothing.
used to call us the street urchins. From each point we would roam. We would go from Dawes Point to Miller's Point and across the rocks as well. There would be lots of people that would pass by in these streets. A rotating roster of a cast, I'd say. You'd have the unsuspecting tourist in the area that we would point in the wrong way. You're listening to the voice of Havana. 
she joined me to tell a story from her riotous, swashbuckling teenage years. One of my favourite characters growing up was Carleen. Many scenarios were lived out with Carleen. She would pop up a lot. One of the times uh, she popped up was the day she decided to chase us down the street with a machete. <laughs> and to our rescue came the noble, the noble um, local dealer called Cookie. I think he had a bigger knife. <laughs> Change your way. 
Carleen, you could catch her at a pub with the same name as Cookie, called The Cookie. And if you walked in, you'd, they'd let you know she was on that machine, that machine, that machine, and she had that machine reserved as well. <laughs> I remember we found her phone one day with a lot of messages asking if she was on for Jack and Jill's as a child trying to figure out what are Jack and Jill's. I think one of my favourite memories of Carleen was one day when myself and a gang of kids from the area were walking past her house on High Street. And we walked past Carleen's house and her door was open wide. And we looked inside and Carleen was on the floor, passed out. I'm guessing upon reflection, it was an overdose. So one of the kids said, let's call an ambulance, as you do, as a neighbor. It's a neighborly thing to do. So we called an ambo for Carleen. The ambo came and they took her. Carleen's in the ambulance. She's gone, but the door's still left wide open. Next thing I know, one of the head honchos has decided to go into Carleen's place and has yelled someone else into the house. And next thing I know, they're walking out either side holding a flat screen TV from Carleen's. you this same head honcho at the same time he was also pushing Jenny Craig slim fast things that he'd stolen from Priceline and that was one of the hustles at the time like it was like the skinny me tea of 2009 so he was like doing the rounds if anyone wanted the Jenny Craig slim fast 
Let me know, I got it. I got it for your mum. Yeah, memory's a bit shaky there, but anyway. Yeah, so my mate lived up the road in a big red brick block of flats. He lived on the in the on the third floor and then directly below lived a bunch of Kiwis. As far as I can remember they were Kiwis. At least the main dude was. They must have been in their twenties, maybe even thirties. They seemed like just full grown adults to me. So I'd go I'd go around to visit him and knock on his door and his mum say, Well nah, he's downstairs. She didn't mind that he was down there playing video games. So I'd go down there sometimes and we'd play Mario Kart or whatever. Um one day he was like, oh, come and check this out. And we go up behind the back of his flats around the side to where all of the bathroom windows were. I think all of these flats were like replicas of each other. So all of the bathroom windows were lined up. Oh, they had a little gap so the air could get out above their dunny. And he put his hand through there and take out the stick that held the window <laughs> that held the window in place on the railing behind, push it open, and then we'd climb through. And I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. So he seemed to know when they were out most of the time. Um, we'd go in there, and then he the first time he took me through there, we went into the guy's bedroom, one of their bedrooms. Under his bed were, like, these cardboard boxes full of pornos. <laughs> Hustler, penthouse, playboy... Every every one of the old porno mags, and we would sit there, get the cardboard box put up on his bed, and just sit there and like thumb our way through them, looking. At, and so we, I think we would have been, I don't know, maybe nine, must have been nine or ten, and we'd sit there gawking, couldn't believe our luck, looking at all these bronzed and inflated women. I remember our sisters came a couple of times because they were friends. We brought them through and they were also... I think they were obviously less interested in the porno than us, but they started, like, rummaging around in the other rooms. Um, So there were four of us in this this flat (laughs) going through drawers and whatnot and his older sister was always like on the lookout for their drugs she's like oh they're gonna have drugs in here for sure like we just gotta you know find them she seemed to think she'd found some weed i all i remember was i think it was like lavender sock deodorizer or something but i remember her later she would like yell shit at them from the balcony. She'd be like, "I oh, know, I oh, know, you've got your drugs in here, in there, or something." And they were like, they, in my memory, seemed like really affected by her accusations. We were, we were in there one day. The sister's not with us. It was just me and him looking through the pornos when we hear. <laughs> A key in the front door in the lock and I just piss bolted out of there went straight out of, straight out of the door fortunately all you had to do was run 
turn out of the door, your first left was in the bathroom and I just bounded up onto the toilet seat, onto the cistern and more or less like straight out the window. He was behind me, so by the time he rounded the corner, the guys were coming through the door, uh, two of them, and um, I just remember them just going berserk and looking back and just seeing (laughs) them grab him by the back of the neck and just shut, open up the toilet lid with his hat, he still had his hat on, (laughs) and stuff his head down into the dunny, this filthy dunny. (laughs) And like, yeah, just flushing his head in there. And obviously yelling like every invective in the book at me through the window. terrifying as well like proper rough kiwi place <laughs> knew where we lived obviously knew where he lived knew where i lived down the street um but yeah too too young obviously to do anything besides flush your head down the toilet but yeah he was um rattled and discarded from from their social events He was so cool. He was so... uh, He seemed so far beyond his years. And he was funny. He had all these little turns of phrases and, like, uber confidence, you know, which would get him places, had access. Um, So I think if you've got a really... You know, kids kids can be funny and cool. And he was also willing to kind of stamp authority in a situation and even insult people that were two, three times his age. I definitely remember situations where like we'd be in a group with like new people that you that you'd be hanging out with, older people, and he would in the classic way of just social climbing in the most like primitive sense just like put put someone down to elevate himself like he'd learnt that early there's evidence of people rummaging through my stuff and then I happen to catch some rascal in there I don't know maybe I'd flush the head as well
a poem by Annie to Krista. Worst of all are the tantrums he throws. The words tumbling out are astounding. Everyone in Paddington can hear our rose. That boy's in need of a serious grounding. Dad's unaware of the things that he does to myself, my mum and my other brother. When he yells round the house, there's a fearful buzz. But after he tells my mum that he loves her. For him to be civil is very rare. He watches wrestling and tries kung fu. And honestly, sometimes I just don't care. One thing not to share with him is the loo. But he's my little surfer dude brother. Given the choice, I wouldn't want another. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your yaya. If you have a story you'd like to share that isn't too boring, send it through to waxlyricalfbi at gmail.com. As Gary Shearston once sang, Life remains a mystery, so please don't question me, for I am just a divine baboon, witnessing the solar journey. Sweet melancholy, gather me and bring me the sound of rain. Bring me the curl of an autumn leaf or an old shoe in a dream. Take my feet on a weary road, let poor men pass me by.
witnessing, witnessing the soul of journey, witnessing, witnessing, witnessing the soul of Witnessing, witnessing, witnessing the soul of journey. Witnessing, witnessing, witnessing the soul of journey. Witnessing, witnessing, witnessing the soul of I don't feel very articulate or that it's necessarily that interesting, but...